Hello, everyone. My name is Joshua Gilliland, attorney blogger for Bowtie Law, which focuses on e-discovery and with Jessica Meterson on the Legal Geeks. Today with me is political consultant Jerry O'Brien, who's in New York City. Jerry's also written an awesome book called 1901, which I'm now at the halfway point, nearly done with. It's a steampunk novel with Vice President Theodore Roosevelt fighting robots and political intrigue, and it's awesome, and we'll, we'll do a podcast about that one when when we're done with it. Uh, but today I, I invited Jerry to talk about Agents of Shield because Jerry is a longtime Shield fan, and we're going to rock out talking about some of the final issues that we've seen and get ready to rock and roll. So Jerry, how you doing? I'm good, Josh. How are you? I am feeling great. We have clear weather out here in California, and. My day was exponentially brightened, finding out that we're going to have an Agent Carter TV series next year. I love it. Uh, it's female lead, fantastic. A period Mar- piece set in the 1940s. You know, which makes bad guys easier because the Cold War was pretty straightforward. Nuclear Armageddon, Russians are bad. We can handle that. And we get the cool 1940s era traditional looking shield equipment and that's going to just be it's going to rock so you know for those of your listeners who haven't seen it the agent carter one shot which i think was on the iron man 3 dvd is absolutely amazing it's peggy carter the character from captain america the first avenger working basically as a secretary at shield and being you know looked down upon by some of her male counterparts until, of course, she saves the day. And in in the end of the uh, the one shot, as you know, she gets a call from Howard Stark, Tony's father, and is basically told that she's going to be running S.H.I.E.L.D. with him. Which rocks. So we're going to see 1947, 1948. So sound barrier's been broken. Uh, We're we're doing Project Crossroads. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff taking place, and it's going to be old-fashioned spies. It's this is gonna rock, so. and and we'll see Zola in what would have been a 1940s style uh, setting, working with early computers. Yeah, so again, totally awesome. I uh, I don't know if they've announced cast, if they announced that he will be in it, but I hope to God so because that's traditional Shield right there. Well, the two characters, uh, of course, are Haley Atwell, who is committed to being the series, and. Uh, Dominic Cooper, who played Howard Stark, is also going to be in it. I don't know if as a regular or as a recurring cast member, but those two are, are, are guaranteed. And it would be nice to see some of the Howling Commandos in there as well. Which would be so fun. You know, uh, Tripp's grandfather would be awesome to have him there as, as the introduction. So just so much awesome. The potential is phenomenal. Yeah, you know, as you and I were talking about a few minutes ago, uh, it underscores the big differences between Marvel and DC, where Marvel has now set up a TV series set in the 1940s of all things with a female superhero, and DC still can't get their act together with something as basic as Wonder Woman. It's bizarre, because when you think back to Linda Carter playing Wonder Woman in the 70s, early 80s, I remember watching it as, as a little kid. The formula didn't seem hard. And now it's, you know, we can have a talking raccoon in Guardians of the Galaxy 
but DC acts like women who are 54% of the population are just too difficult to do programming for, and that's wrong. So the fact we got Marvel, let's beat them to the punch, God bless them. Yeah, I, I agree. And I don't know whether the problem is that they're overanalyzing it or, or just don't get it, but it's fairly straightforward. It's action-adventure. You write a good action-adventure story, and people will rally. You think back to Sigourney Weaver and Aliens. You think back to Gravity with Sandra Bullock. And those were fantastic stories that were fun, neat stories. And it didn't matter that the lead was female because people rallied to go see it because it was a good story. And if Marvel can pull that off with Agent Carter... God bless them. So I'm super excited. I want to see it succeed because it's a fun historical period. It's a, she's a fun character, and Hadley Atwell is a great actress, so it's going to be a lot of fun. The other thing is, if I am reading them correctly, what they're talking about is making the Agent Carter series. Basically, it will be on the in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. time when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is not on the air. Now, it's unclear to me whether that means it's a summer replacement for a year from now or whether it's going to be shown in the months when S.H.I.E.L.D. would be normally in reruns, say, November, December, January. Uh, it's only envisioned, I think, as a 12-episode series, so there's, there's possibilities there. And that's great because it gives people a good, solid seven, eight months of new S.H.I.E.L.D. episodes without having to wade through reruns. Yeah, that's brilliant if that's what they're doing. So uh, the articles I saw were a little vague on that. You know, it said 12 or 14, but it didn't give a time frame. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's been blowing up on Facebook with different outlets, you know, dropping the note, which is cool, which is cool. And we'll see. I am excited. And since I've been able to blog on basically every episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I suspect I'll get to do the same with Agent Carter. So this will be fun. There you uh, go. Well, that you also th you throw in Howard Stark, and you get the defense contractor spin and all the rules that come in with those guys, and which is which will be fun. And you got the Howling Commando, so you've got flashbacks to World War II and what went on there. Maybe some secret stories that involved the Commandos and other future agents of Shield that were never told. Yeah, high likelihood. And there's well, there was the post-war period. I'm mean, like immediately end of World War II. Um, what was going on because you know what happens post cap and depending on how they do it i mean they could jump around years or they could just i mean they could literally move like 47 48 49 if, if they do a three season plan or if they want to jump like five years after like the first season they could do something like that because there's no shortage of things that happened in that time frame yeah, it's an exciting and interesting period of time, and I think we, we talked earlier, the, the idea of a show set in the 1940s with spies that's maybe using 1960s technology, which would look very futuristic in that kind of a setting, similar to what they did in this week's episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with the, uh, the suitcase full of old hardware from uh, Tripp's grandfather. Yeah, which got into you know, things functioning on UHF. And, you know, other frequencies that we don't use anymore. So it was retro looking and cool. I mean, it looked like toys my dad played with type of thing. It's like, okay, I am totally down with this. And if that was their way of doing the tease with the final two episodes of breaking out, you know, Trip's grandpa's. It worked. Yeah, it's like rock on. This is, it's going to be great.
My only my only criticism is that the, the use of that suitcase full of spy gadgets underscored the lack of similar technologies for the most part in the overall series agents of shield you've seen that scepter that basically generates a shock wave in one of the early episodes you've seen a couple of other little gadgets but not enough and not as frequent as i would have liked you know as we've said before shield when it came out in 1965 and i can remember seeing the very first ads for nick fury agent of shield in 1965 when i was you know uh, 6 7 years old i guess uh, it was modeled after the TV show, The Man from Uncle, clearly was also a tip of the hat to James Bond. And yet they're kind of playing it loose in that regard regarding the spy aspect of it and the gadgets. It'd be a lot more fun if they had more gadgets. I think they will. I think they found their footing. And if what we've seen in the last couple episodes is a, you know, a sign of the future, I think we're, I think we see the course they're going to go. And if, if they hold it, fantastic so that's my that's my hope well let's let's talk about the last episode or the last two episodes because we we effectively have our heroes acknowledge the fact that they are now acting as vigilantes but colson calls it doing the right thing this goes to breaking up the spy agency of shield that just because there's a decapitation strike it's somehow been dismantled completely and putting on your political consultant hat, just because, thinking today, just because the NSA has gone through some scandals or that you have an IS, IRS agent getting hammered by the House, neither of those massive organizations are being dismantled. You know, people get rooted out and thrown out. You, you don't end the organization. So, like, what are your thoughts on well, what, would, what would happen? Well, for one thing, I, I think... Uh, and this is, I guess, the difference between real life and television life. In the real world, government agencies, even investigations into government agencies, move at a more glacial pace. It, things happen in weeks and months rather than days and hours. I think you'd have no end to congressional and Senate hearings on the matter with a whole host of people, good, bad, and indifferent, being pulled before Congress. I think you you drew an analogy in our previous conversation between the House Un-American Affairs Committee and, and what we would, I guess, call the Hydra hearings, where you'd have people come in and probably being asked, you know, are you now or have, or have you ever been a member of Hydra? Um, I think you'd also see a lot of questions about the role of military contractors, how they were involved in this. And the thing that struck me as you were just talking about it is, you know, maybe the closer uh, analogy here isn't American agencies being found to be corrupt, but look at the fall of the Berlin Wall. When the Soviet Union fell, the KGB disappeared, but it didn't dissolve. It morphed into a new agency that um, is probably every bit as effective in doing what the, the KGB did. Uh, so I don't think you'd see S.H.I.E.L.D. disbanded. You'd probably have it turned into something else because you have to do something with your people. You have to do something with your various resources, your physical plant, and, and your, your intelligence assets. You don't just don't simply cut people loose uh, because some other agency will snap them up. I don't it, think they've really thought that out. And also, S.H.I.E.L.D. is three different types of organizations. You have the spy part of it. You have a law enforcement 
part of it and you have a military part of it, which we don't have in real life. That would be three separate agencies. That we know of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, there's probably the secret R&D group and, you know, all kinds of stuff. But you, it, it's like the NSA doesn't launch military ops. They don't have an aircraft carrier assigned to them to, to do their bidding with NSA crew. That just it doesn't exist. You don't see the CIA operating within the continental United States because we have rules prohibiting them from doing so. So when you look at, you know, the spy agency that has cars with logos on it and that sort of thing, I mean, it is, it is totally alien to anything that we have currently and doing a massive stand down of that organization. God knows how many helicarriers they actually had. We know of at least one that was in the first Avengers movie. So there's there when there's one, there could be a fleet of them. There could be a couple of them. And so what's out there? So that would be, how do you ramp that down? So again, that's not something that happens overnight. And, you know, the helicopter helicarriers, at least in the comics, were designed to operate on a 24-7 basis. They're always up there. They're always, you know, out of sight so that they can't be touched. Um, I think the other factor that we talked about is that, you know, in comics and more importantly in, in TV and movies, the view of the way government operates is is very different from what we know in the real world. I gave you the example of the first season of House of Cards where uh, the, the Kevin Spacey's ca- character's driver is a DC cop and uh, DC cops and the DC police department are sort of ordered around by Congress uh, as if they were their own private security force. And in the real world, it's nothing like that. Two totally different branches of government, one federal, one state, one judicial, one legislative, one executive, one uh, legislative. They have nothing to do with each other. Yeah. And that's just, that's real life versus the comics. You know, and granted, I do not expect them to hire guys like us to explain this is how it works. This is part of my reason why I can't watch lawyer TV shows without throwing things at the screen because they generally are pretty far off. Occasionally they're the good ones, but some of them are just hellacious with that sort of thing. And when you get into the nuances of how government actually operates, that again, thinking back to the end of the winter soldier where it looked like people from the joint chiefs of staffs were in Congress you know, quizzing the Black Widow, that would not happen. There would it wouldn't be a hearing like that. They wouldn't hold joint hearings. So it's it was just weird. Even in this last episode, uh, at the very end, Quinn, who up until just before this episode aired, was on a terrorist watch list, was uh, 10 most wanted, and was accused of all sorts of things, including treason, is seen having a leisurely glass of bourbon with two members of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. That's just not going to happen. No, you don't get a free pass that easily. You know, there was no presidential pardons being handed out for everyone who was in the fridge just because they were in the fridge and thinking shield equals bad, that just wouldn't happen. There would, there would still have to be a judicial process to figure out who was in there lawfully versus who was in there unlawfully. And that's not an instantaneous operation being able to go, don't worry, Hydra broke me out. Therefore it's okay. You wouldn't, that'd be a two wrongs. Don't make a right in that situation of you were in prison for treason and then another terrorist group broke you out, that still keeps you on the most wanted list. That probably still keeps you a shoot-to-kill order out for you. 
I agree. I mean, even though you have a presumption of innocence, if you've been detained by this national security organization and another group sets you free, I think you'd be hiding out for quite some time because some other government agency would have you on their radar and and be looking to pick you up to maybe ask you their own questions. Yep. Uh, Yes. So again, getting that level of access is a bit alien and it would show a really horrible vetting process and being able to get a meeting with the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So just just weird. Uh, the other thing that I thought would be problematic would be dropping in on Cuba. First, the last thing Cuba wants is to find out that they're being used for a shield hideout under a barber shop. That would not do them any favors in the world of foreign affairs. Secondly, Colson and company dropping in on Cuba, which we still have that embargo on, and there are very specific reasons that you can visit Cuba under the law, none of which in, uh, include tourism. And especially if you're conducting a rogue military op, you just can't pop in. You're invading a foreign country at that point, and that gets very problematic. You know, the first time they used the barbershop, there was a sort of a tip of the hat to the original comic book because – in the original 1960s Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. comics, the headquarters of S.H.I.E.L.D. was underground of the Lower East Side section of Manhattan. And Nick and Dum Dum Dugan would go into a barbershop, sit with Gabe Jones, who I guess is the grandfather of Trip, and uh, they'd sit in these three barber chairs. And if they knew the right code, the barber chairs would basically drop into the basement or a sub basement to the S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters. And if you didn't say the right codes, um, you, of course, would be anesthetized by a gas gun or something. Um, they did that the very first time they showed the barbershop in, in Havana, but I guess to save money, they, they did not do it this time. Um, yeah, you know, uh, going to Cuba, going to some other places, you know, they make it look pretty easy. And even if you were a full-fledged agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. before the, the rise of HYDRA, it still wouldn't happen. It'd be profoundly difficult to happen. Even though I, I fully agree, having the barber operation to go down to the sub-basement was cool. I thought it was a tip of the hat to what we we expect S.H.I.E.L.D. to be with the you know, secret agent codes and elevators lowering down and all that fun stuff. So I do hope they continue it, but getting into Cuba is hard. So getting into Cuba is very hard. So, Which brings me to the – let's go back to the political fallout. In Winter Soldier, at the end, we see Senator Stern, played by Gary Shandling, you know, is a member of Hydra and gets carted off. How would break loose if a U.S. senator was part of a terrorist organization? So, or even accused of being yeah, yeah. a member of a terrorist organization. Yeah, it's intense. The idea that since House members and Senate members could throw out their own people. You know, I refuse to seat them if elected, and you know they have their own ru- rules for censuring and throwing somebody out of the body, which is hard to do, but can happen occasionally. Finding out somebody is a traitor, they can do that, and so which makes me think back to Iron Man three when we found out the vice president was part of the of a coup, and that raised all kinds of funky issues with you got to get him out of office, which means impeachment. So you, you know, it's not just arresting him, but it's then impeaching him to remove him. Having a trial in the Senate? Yep. Yep, and so they would have to do that there. With the senator, it's slightly different. 
uh, but you still throw them out and then there are treason charges. And whatever political party that senator belonged to, all hell would break loose just on for that party. Now, what they're pretty good at not acknowledging either party, but in the episode with Blackout, you know, you could hear talk radio where you had somebody who was the party out of office criticizing the fictional President Ellis about S.H.I.E.L.D. not having enough oversight and all the, all the bad things that happened there, and the claim that, you know, if my party were in power, that none of this would have happened. Well, if his party is the same party as Senator Stern, he's screwed. You can't, you can't have a full-blown traitor in your midst and not have political fallout from that. On the flip side, if you're the party who you know, has the president, you find out a member of your party is a full-blown traitor, uh, there are repercussions. You, th- you would show him to the door rather quickly, I think, uh, unless, of course, the Hydra presence in the U.S. Senate and in the current administration on the TV show is more widespread than we would even have been led to believe. Um, but again, politics and government move at a more glacial pace. It's a 60-minute TV show with about 44 minutes of actual uh, screen time. I understand they have to pick things up a bit, which leads to my next point, which is, have you read Jim Starenko's seven-point plan for improving the TV show? I did, and I agreed with probably five or six of the points. Yeah, basically, the the seven points are he wants to get rid of the relationships that sort of play as low-grade soap opera. I agree there. He wants to, this is a technical thing, import a new fight coordinator, action director, and film cutter because some of the fight scenes, it's pretty clear that it's a, a stunt double doing it, and they do a lot of their fight scenes in dark, shadowy environments, basically to make it easier to cut it together. I agree with him there. They want, he wants a lot more high-tech special effects gadgets and props. I think we both agree on that. Uh-huh. He wants um, self-contained adventures. Now, I disagree there. One of the things I've always liked about Joss Whedon's shows is the serialized nature of the show, whether it's Buffy or Angel, Dollhouse, or certainly Firefly. There was a story there. Now, you can have a satisfying B-plot you know, conclude in each episode, but I like the idea that this is – an all-encompassing season-wide story. Um, Agreed. I like the long play. I I don't have a problem with that. I also, I do like the stories being self-contained as long as they go to the larger plot because I like Whedon too. And so I have no problem with the long game. That, that doesn't bother me at all. But having like conflict resolution in that 60-minute period so that way you can attract new fans. That you can have somebody come in and, you know, episode seven, if they miss the first six, and become a fan and go like, oh, this is cool, as opposed to watching and going like, I have no idea what's going on. Well, it's certainly a lot easier for someone to come in in the middle of a season and pick up if the show is well-plotted and well-written, and because you're able to watch things on demand usually a day or so after the original show airs. Uh Um, His fifth point I'm going to gloss over for a second and come back to, but his sixth is that he wants to crash the bus. He thinks that the airplane that they're flying on is sort of unimaginative. And and I say there is a point to that. You know, there's a lot more interesting aircraft they could be flying around in. Uh, Finally, (laughs) he says, purge the entire cast and replace them with tech aces who actually look like they could handle themselves in clobbering time situations. Um, 
I'm not going to disagree totally. I happen to like the Melinda May character. I think she is a, a very much ass-kicking woman, and I, I would love to see her play a more central role in the show. Um, the problem with the show, as I see it, is that it's not Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's Phil Coulson and his Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And Phil Coulson kind of comes off as sort of the nice guy. He's not the hard-charging, you know, Clint Eastwood type of character that Jim Steranko portrayed Nick Fury as back in the 1960s. There was a character in those comics that probably is more relative to uh, the character is more like uh, the Phil Coulson character, which is Jasper Sitwell in the comics. He's kind of a nebbishy nervous kind of agent who is new to shield and, you know, not the kind of dynamic leader that Nick Fury is. And I think, it isn't an exact match, but Coulson again is not uh, a Nick Fury character. He's a much he has softer edges, and I think that's again part of the problem. You know, he's not the the kind of dynamic leader that would make for a more interesting show. Although I do like the character. Um, the fifth one was um, he wants more Nick Fury in the show, and as much as that might be nice, I just don't think it's practical. Yeah, that was a point that I found interesting you now to get sam jackson to record messages you know instructions uh type of thing you know which he could do in a day and then they could use throughout the entire season that almost be you know we don't want nick fury to turn into you know the voice in charlie's angels you yes. know because like, and there runs that is a huge risk of that happening but, you know, seeing Nick a little more frequently, you know, what was it, the end of the second episode we saw him, and we'll see him in the season finale. So a little more Nick sure wouldn't hurt, and I wouldn't mind the message occasionally, but I would, uh, I, I'd be careful with that one. I would be very careful with that one. I agree. I, I think there's a lot more that they can do to make the show interesting and exciting and, and make it work better. They've headed in the right direction whether they'll continue to do so next season is anyone's guess i'd love to see it more successful i'd love to see a faster uh, more action oriented and again as i said to you in our last podcast agents shield is basically a science fiction oriented spy adventure series and they've really been a little light on the touch in terms of the, both the science fiction and the spying. They've had some of the adventure, um, but it doesn't mean that they have to let the adventure take a backseat to character. We know these characters by now. We either like them or we don't like them. I think they've had enough time to establish who these characters are. And given that Joss Whedon is the big guy in the big chair... Uh, I would be disappointed if we don't see some of these, at least one of these characters be killed off. That's a, a Joss Whedon trademark, and it might add a little more punch to this show. I agree there. Whedon has no problem bumping off people that are liked, and we can just look at the body count in Buffy to see that evidence. Or also his weird uh, disposition to have people impaled. He's done that a lot. I, I have no problem with Ward getting bumped off in the season finale. None. Even though he makes a wonderful bad guy. I have and he's no proven problem. to be a very good actor as a bad guy. Yeah. Much better as the, you know, you know cold, chiseled jaw hero because no one really liked him as that. But he's like, okay, you are dynamic. You got chops. This is good. 
I think trip has been a wonderful addition and adding depth. He's fun. He's smart. He has good chemistry with the others and, you know, good, good hero replacement to Ward. And I, and watching him and Colson interact and figure things out together and sing the good soldier attitude, I definitely want to see more of him. And I think he might be the secret ingredient for further success. You know, who could also be a good shot in the arm for the show is more of Kobe Smulders as Maria uh-huh. Hill. You know, she's out of work now, um, both real life and on the show. That would help. Exactly. And it, and it would give somebody uh, of uh, Phil Coulson's caliber to deal with uh, and perhaps even report to. Yeah. And especially because S.H.I.E.L.D.'s got to get reformed in some way, you know, because you can't have a massive terrorist organization running around that infected the United States government and was set out to slaughter 20 million people. You can't have that and not have some ramp up and going out and fighting it. So there's got to bring back the original acronym or something, but she would be good to have in it more consistently, you know, maybe every four episodes or something, or if they want her weekly. You can't have too big of an ensemble cast, though, because you start watering everybody down when when that happens. Well, you know, one thing that Mission Impossible did, and, and that was also a um, one of the original shows that that the comic book Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was based on, one of the things that Mission Impossible did, particularly in its early years, is they did have a rotating cast. If you remember, Jim Phelps would get an assignment each week, and you see him take out this portfolio, and he'd sort of lay the the uh, uh, cards on the table, basically resumes of each of the agents, and he would decide which ones he thought would be the best fit for this particular assignment. There's no reason why... Phil Coulson should not be able to draw from a similarly large array of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, not all of whom are right for each particular episode, but over the course of time, 10, 11, 12 of these agents in the course of a season would work together, and maybe there'd be, especially for sweeps in uh, February and and November, uh, or March and and October and November, you could see them all come together for a major episode, the series finale. Uh, it, you know, if people aren't series regulars, they could pay them a little bit less money. And when they need somebody who does a particular job or has a particular skill set, you bring that person in for an episode. That would make sense. And it, you could also use that to get rid of the bus and be able to have a base. And that could change things because right now we have more of the traveling strike team, which I understand the philosophy with that, so I'm not criticizing it, but that's the model that they followed. If you went with who's the right agent for the assignment type model, which is more the traditional fury sitting in the secret bunker and figuring out people to go use, that would that would kind of follow that tradition just a tad more. So, And as I've said before, I understand they have budget constraints as a TV series, but they have the the visual effects in a computer somewhere to generate a helicarrier. Phil Coulson and whatever team he's working with need to operate at least some of the time from the helicarrier. And I'd like to see them fly up and into the helicarrier. Uh That was one of the key visuals of the original comic book. And I would, I would hope that the costs have come down enough in terms of special effects for them to do something like that with the Lola. 
That would be cool. That would be cool. And again, I mean, that is pure shield tradition of Fury taking out the flying car from a helicarrier. I mean, total, total shield tradition right there. And that sort of thing would be groovy. A little more Lola, a little more gadgets, and good old-fashioned spy action. And, you know, if they want the second season to be, we're going to go chase down what's left of Hydra. That could be cool. That could be you know, in this next, I think it was the next to last episode, they actually used the Lolo when they basically basically left the bus in the car and, um, and had a near miss with the with the Earth. It was an exciting scene. Didn't last very long, but they need more of that kind of stuff. And if ABC doesn't realize that, I think it's a mistake. They need to dig into their pockets a little deeper. Uh, you know, that kind of effect, that those kind of visuals make for a much more compelling and interesting show. Well, and, that, and that's what we're watching for. Well, that and you got the windblown hair. They look like hell, and he still pays the parking attendant. That in the way he did that, the body language the, was fantastic. That's part of the reason why I like the character and the actor because he did it well. And that sort of dry humor—they need a little more of that. Uh, in addition to all the stunts and the special effects, and making it that spy show. And I don't want to sound like a broken record, but. As I said before, the TV show Lost wandered around a bit until it fully embraced its science fiction basis with things like time travel. Um, S.H.I.E.L.D. needs to do the same thing. If it's a science fiction show, grab the science fiction with both hands and hang on for dear life. It'll be a wild ride, but it'll be fun. Exactly. And they've... The potential's there. You know, they've had a good build and thinking about each episode, they've... You can see that there was a game plan. You can see where they were constrained. You can see where they found their footing. And since Winter Soldier, they've been charging. And, I mean, since, again, I think I've only not blogged about maybe one episode. But I think I've hit virtually all of them. And some of them with two different issues presented in them. Looking at what we have here, since Winter Soldier... The, the legal issues have become more dynamic. The political issues have become more dynamic for guys like us to sit down and go like, how would that actually work? And so they are, I think they are firing on all cylinders now. And if they can just take this to the next level, I think they'll increase viewership exponentially and factor in agent Carter. Good things will follow. You know, there's a whole world, 50 years or more of Marvel comics and, and, and characters that have really never seen the light of day outside of the comic book. They should latch on to that. They should embrace that. There's a lot of fun and interesting things that could happen as a result. They've, they've got the rights to these characters. Um, why not use them? Yeah, well, you can see that they're, they're making a play for the Inhumans. At least I think it's the Inhumans because Sky apparently is not human because of the, the monster story that Flowers told us about to, to Ward, which he kept from Garrett. So there's a little of that in there uh, that, that we could see. I don't think we'll see it in the final, but I think that could be part of season two in figuring that out. I would also like to see Atlantis. You know, the, the cost for that would be high, but when you think about the Submariner and the issues that they, they've had, that could be a fun thing to talk about. The environmental, the environmental issue with the Submariner and any of the major world powers would be very, very powerful. My understanding is that 
Universal, I think, still owns the rights to the Submariner. I'm not sure Marvel has them back yet. I don't. I need to check. I thought they had them, but I I don't have a flow chart of of all of that handy. But I thought he came back. But I, I've been wrong before many times, so there's always that risk. But you know, it sort of raises the issue of what kind of people are running the major film and television studios. They each have a small part of this Marvel pie, and they're holding on to it for dear life, afraid to share it with anyone. If these guys could get together in a room and agree, all right, you can use our characters in your films for up to five minutes of screen time, and we'll take X percent or Y percent of your your net box office, everybody wins. Uh-huh. Because an interchangeable open Marvel universe between the, the Avengers, the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, and, and, and of course the Submariner, everybody wins. It's a rich universe. They have a lot they can explore, and they would make f- truckloads of money. Oh, we'll see what happens with Netflix. Just on that with the four shows that they caught coming out that are the street-level superheroes. And with focusing on, you know, I presume Hell's Kitchen and New York and that level, you know, if you need a lawyer cameo, we're there. You need a judge cameo, I'm sure we could get Sherino. You know, there's they all <laughs> kind, they got they got all kinds of options for being able to pull that off. Uh that would be fun. So a they, lot of potential there. Oh god. I'm super excited. You know, being growing up geek. You know, and you know, the sometimes being ostracized for that as a you know as a kid, and you know, granted there were a large number of us, but you know there were always the kind of the the jock blockheads and those who reacted in disdain to those of us who enjoyed comic books and board games and and everything else. Uh, to see the the way that the pendulum swung in completely the different direction. Well, to uh, to paraphrase the Bible, which is something that I don't do often, the geeks have inherited the earth. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like we're in charge now, and everyone else is going to like it. We were wrong to not enjoy this, and I, I I look at this, I look at Doctor Who, and I look at the way that things have changed. So it's totally cool. It's totally cool, and the fact that we got prime time comic book shows taking place now is just awesome. So, uh, my while I might sound critical on constitutional issues and pointing that stuff out because I have a problem with good guys killing innocents, I've really enjoyed the show a lot, and I look forward to doing a wrap up after the season finale on where they've gone and what reveals we have, and we know there's going to be some bombshell tease because it's a Whedon, and that's what they do. Uh, so it'll be fun. Yeah, I agree. As much as I'm critical of it, I like the show. I want to love it more. Uh And I want it to stay on the air for many years. I'd love it to have spinoffs like we're getting already with Agent Carter. Uh, I don't want anybody to think that I'm, I'm really down on the show. It's just, it's not as good as it could be. And I say that as an original 1967 card-carrying member of the Mary Marvel Marching Society. I still have my original card laminated. Um, it has great potential. They've got a very good cast. The sky's the limit. Indeed, it is. Well, Jerry, thank you so much. I know we will be talking after next Tuesday, 
And so we'll probably do a wrap up. And I am working uh, as soon as Shield ends. They'll free up free reading time to finish 1901, which I really like a lot. I'm glad. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Everyone, stay geeky.